This is our league, and this is your league. From the 55-yard line on CFL America Radio and the Sports History Network. Stand by, 15 seconds to air. Stand by, old camera, and videotape. Ready with your opening graphics. Stand by, Howard. Here we come, Frank. Ready, Don. Stand by, audio, your opening music, and roll tape. Take tape. With the uh, ninth pick, the New York Jets select Kyle Brady. He's a unique player, a tight end. But the Jets drafted a couple of years ago, tight end Johnny Mitchell. I'm shocked. It doesn't seem to fill a need for them. This has to be the biggest mockery I've ever seen in my entire life. We can trade him. Hands down, the biggest mockery. I largest amount ever given to an athlete. I'm the number one pick. What the shit going on here? San Francisco 49ers select Jerry Rice. There's always somebody looking to knock you off the pedestal. Aaron Rodgers will be solid. How far he drops is going to be the storyline of the day. Give me your name. Give me your name. What's up? KB, Kyle Brady. Casey, Kevin Carter. Steve McNair. He thrills. And you guys are at the NFL draft, right? <laughs> Tomorrow, someone will hand you the, the cap and the, and the jersey from that team and will take you out, uh, out front and pose for pictures at that point. We also have an NFL site on the Internet. You guys probably know more about it than, than we do. You probably have your own Internet uh, addresses. And if, if time permitting, we'll have you uh, stop there for 10 minutes and uh, chat with some fans on the computer. In 1995, the World Wide Web was offered to the public for the first time. You write to it like mail? No, a lot of people use it and communicate. I guess they can communicate with NBC writers and producers. Allison, can you explain what Internet is? Technology was also changing the NFL draft. We hadn't yet reached that phase where you had the tweets and all the way that the fans can wade in. But what I do remember is was just the availability of some of the information where typically it might have been a little more laborious to fight your way through it. The fact that it was on the internet made the, the, uh, the preparation and the analysis just that much easier. The league was expanding as well. The first new teams in nearly 20 years added to the intrigue of the 1995 draft. When Carolina and Jacksonville came into the league, they had a lot of advantages that other expansion teams had not had. This is what expansion looked like before the free agency era. Rosters were filled solely with rookies and castoffs. Nobody wanted to revisit the days of the original Buccaneers. Nobody wanted to revisit a day when, when these teams were going to come in and go winless. 
you know, you think, well, okay, we can start with a, a, a clean slate and we'll have a little time to build this our way. And then, whoops, we need to sell PSLs in order to fill the stadium and build the stadium. So we were in a position where we had to get the team as competitive as we could, as fast as we could. With an entry fee of $140 million each, the two new franchises had paid for rapid growth. With almost unlimited salary cap space, both teams invested heavily in veteran free agents. We designed specifics for each position that we were looking for, whether it be offense, defense, or special teams. You know, I had a, an age in mind. I wanted everybody to be 26 years old. I wanted a young team. Well, your knee pads. Put them in there, it's going to cost you some money. What are you doing? What are we doing? What are we doing? What are we doing here? You had street free agents. You had free agents. You had uh, draft choices. You had uh, college free agents. They were going to make up this first uh, year of this expansion team, the Jacksonville Jaguars. I know Ron Wolf, who was at Tampa Bay in 76, he wouldn't even call Carolina and Jacksonville expansion franchises. He called them free agency franchises. My biggest argument at that time was, if this was good enough for Tex Ram and Paul Brown, Joe Thomas with the Minnesota Vikings, why isn't it good enough for these guys? He knew full well that we could take advantage of the fact that we could cut many of the players that we got in the expansion draft and create cap space to sign veteran free agents, which is what we did. You got to crawl before you can walk. These guys were strutting. I mean, they didn't even, they could strutting right in. Before they could strut, they had to build a roster. Jacksonville won a coin toss, giving them the first pick in the expansion draft. Carolina would then pick first in the college draft. We were thrilled that we lost the coin toss, but the fans here were not, and the media were not, because they didn't realize how important the first pick in the regular draft would be. Hmm. We'll take Berline, Steve Berline, quarterback, Arizona. It was a coin flip, and Jacksonville won, because I love Jacksonville, and I love the people, uh, but the experience uh, was not what it was supposed to be. The 30-year-old Berline lasted just one season in Jacksonville before, ironically, joining the Panthers. <laughs> As the big day neared, the top of the draft remained unsettled. So who's going number one here? Kajana Carter. Kajana Carter. Two. Uh, Carolina. Yeah, they won't trade it. You didn't know if it was going to be me pick first. Tony Baselli was, was a high pick. Warren Sapp was, was very, very high. So you really don't know because these are all great players and you got two teams that are expansion teams at the first two picks. It was really kind of crazy. As crazy as things seemed, a breaking news story would further shake up the top of the draft. The World's Financial Center provided the backdrop for the 1995 draft. That evening, a news report would send one prospect stock plummeting. Their background check by NFL security 
has produced seven positive drug tests by SAP, uh, six for marijuana, one for cocaine. I started my career with a not true statement about me. What was that? That I used cocaine. For a kid like me, the one thing in my life is my integrity. And that's what, that was being questioned. It was exaggerated, it was misrepresented. Um, we were deeply upset by it. How could I go to the University of Miami, flunk seven drug tests, and nobody know it until 11.30 at night, the night before the draft? Please tell me that. I went on a ferocious, uh, hectic campaign to let everybody know it wasn't accurate. Warren Sapp has never had any multiple tests of that nature. That's a complete untruth. They've talked about cocaine. That's also very much untrue. And you're looking at a guy right now that has had very few problems in the past. Rumors about Sapp's character had no bearing on the Panthers, who held the first pick. Carolina wanted a franchise quarterback. We felt like uh, the choice of the quarterback was critical, and it was between Steve McNair and Kerry Collins. It was a very, very hard choice. It's the experienced big college quarterback. Here's Kerry Collins who's played big games, played primetime, nationally televised games. And then you've got this quarterback with perhaps more physical skills, but who has not had all of the college experience on a big stage and who's not been playing in an offense that is necessarily going to translate. We, we ended up saying, OK, either guy is fine. Given a choice, we'll take Kerry Collins because he'll play sooner. The Panthers knew they wanted Kerry Collins. They also knew that the Houston Oilers slash Tennessee Titans were interested in Steve McNair. Kajana Carter was generally perceived as the top player in the draft, and we thought people would come up for him. Fortunately, we had a trade partner. The Carolina Panthers have traded the first pick in the draft to the Cincinnati Bengals. Cincinnati Bengals have selected running back from Penn State, Kajana Carter. The Jacksonville Jaguars are now on the clock. Basically, you moved up four spots to get who you wanted to be the number one pick in the draft. And then for a second round pick, which, you know, when you look at today's deals, that, that's, a, that's a very good deal. The optimism in landing the best prospect in the draft faded in Carter's first preseason game. The, uh, I think my third running play and the eighth play overall on our team. Robert Porsche, who was a pro bowler, beat the guard clean there in the backfield. Kijana like stuck his foot in the ground to avoid him and that's when I think he blew the knee out. Just try to plant and cut back to the left and just fell down. The first pick in the 1995 draft had a torn ACL. Having Kajana Carter get not just an injury but a serious injury right from jump in the preseason, it was a disaster and it set that franchise back. He was tremendous. He was a tremendous football player. The production, the quickness, you know, you saw him in the mini camps. He seemed like a pretty sure bet to be a, a very, very good player in our league. He wasn't ever the same that I saw. Didn't see that same explosiveness. So the, the consequences of having a surgery like that, an injury like that, were, were much more uh, uh, 
uh, difficult to overcome. Carter returned in 1996, but a rash of injuries limited him to just 14 starts over seven NFL seasons. It makes me mad a little bit. Does that make somebody a bust? It wasn't because of my talent. It was because of injuries. And it just so happened that it was like one injury after another after another, and they never really got to see the type of player I think I, was, I could have been in the league. With Carter selected, attention turned to Alcorn State's Steve McNair. Tom Coughlin calls us while he's on the clock and says he's trading out. There's two, two teams that want to trade into the spot to draft McNair. And he wanted a fourth to switch spots. So very creative. I mean, that's what you do. That's what we do in the draft. That was the first and only time our owner was ever in the draft. And I remember the owner, Bud Adams, said, you know, well, we need to make that trade because we can't miss out on Steve. And I kept thinking about it, and I kept thinking about it, and I finally said, you know, picked it up. I go, no, nope, we're not going to do it, Tom. You know, hung up the phone. We hung up the phone and almost threw up. With the uh, second choice in the draft, the Jacksonville Jaguars select. And, you know, it was, there was a very quiet moment right there. Tackle from University of Southern California, Tony Baselli. Tony Baselli. So we got our guy. Had he taken McNair or had he traded away and somebody taken him, I probably could have been fired right there. You know, first draft, one pick, you're done. After McNair went to Houston with the third pick and Carolina took Kerry Collins at five, the draft shifted to the top defensive players available. Hello. Kevin Carter. Kevin Carter, defensive end from Florida, goes to the Rams. The paths of Kevin Carter and Steve McNair would cross again four years later in Super Bowl 34. Rams 23, Titans 16. McNair will work out of the shotgun. The high-profile players expected to deliver titles had been selected. It was the unexpected players and events which would now take center stage. Yeah, it was the combine, I think, that did it for me because my uh, performance there really escalated me in the minds of all the teams and the coaches. a tentative agreement on a trade, uh, which doesn't surprise us because 
defensive line, the pass rusher, the home run hitter type. This is what all teams covet. In 1995, more and more teams chased the home run type, the world-class athlete who could impact a game. At the NFL Combine, no player stood out more than Boston College's Mike Mamula. Let's talk about Mike Mamula because very few times have players risen like this. I mean, this is like an Apollo rocket here. You know, during the year, we knew he was productive and he was an intense, great motor type player. But he was a combination, defensive end, outside linebacker. He went to the NFL advisory board. They said rounds three through seven. He didn't listen. I think he probably would have been a second round pick. But what happened was he hired track coaches, strength coaches, all these guys to prepare him for the combine in a way that no one else had ever done. Mamula's attitude was, if they're going to run me, jump me, do all these different drills that don't change every year, why not go and train specifically for those drills? So he blew up the combine. You look at the combine numbers, 4.58 speed, 26 reps, 38 vertical. Those are numbers that are remarkable and probably the best that's ever been recorded for a combination defensive end outside linebacker. All of a sudden, everybody said, wow, look at this guy. And I, everybody bumped their grades up on him on the basis of what they saw at Indianapolis. Philadelphia has now made a selection with the seventh pick just acquired from Tampa Bay. Eagles select defensive end from Boston College, Mike Mamula. Right, Mike Mamula from Boston College. He's the guy that changed the paradigm. And what's interesting now is that because they all do it, it's a much better apples-to-apples -apples comparison. Well, the story was well-documented. You train for that combine. Time's better than defensive backs. Uh, the question is, does the combine work out? Uh, does it convert over to playing football? Of course it does. I mean, that's what, that's what gets you from place to place. You have to be somewhat of an athlete to, to get over to where you want to be. So I guess uh, I should be playing DB. The questions about Mamula were really about his size. Okay, Mike. You know, he was a great athlete, can jump, run. He was just physically incapable of handling teams like Dallas, where you have guys like Tournade, Nate Newton, and you know, Larry Allen. I remember one play where Larry Allen totally made him disappear from the screen. When people talk about draft busts, they'll always, ah, oh, yeah, Mike Mamula. And especially in Philadelphia, you hear that. I don't think that's really true. He didn't become a Pro Bowl player, but he played six years, finished up with 31 and a half sacks, and had some good moments. So to me, he wasn't a bust. Now back in New York, the Seattle Seahawks have made a selection. Let's go up to the podium and join the commission. With the pick after Mamula, the Seahawks took another combine standout, Joey Galloway a receiver with 4-2 speed. The New York Jets were up next. Warren Sapp was still on the board. You know, the Jet fans have been long-suffering. We all know that. For them, winning by any means is really all that matters. How they, how they win, who they have to get to win. Sapp. Sapp is the man. Forget those rumors. Rumors mean nothing. Look at LT, how he we'll turned out. We'll clean up. We'll clean up his act. Bring Sapp to New Sapp York. We'll take care of him. 
because of all the rumors, Sap drops and he drops. And the Jets fans all of a sudden begin whipping themselves into this kind of frenzy where they're saying, oh my God, we're going to draft Warren Sapp. The Jets have about 10 minutes to go on the clock. And uh, the fans are letting you know which way they want to go. And then lo and behold, the Jets throw the curveball of curveballs. Oh, wow, it's a shock. With the uh, ninth pick in the first round, the New York Jets select tight end from Penn State, Kyle Brady. Ladies and gentlemen, our first real upset, I think, at this point in the draft. Not that Kyle Brady is a reach. This has to be the biggest mockery I've ever seen in my entire life. We can trade a coach. Down, the biggest I would trade him right now. absolute mockery. <laughs> Kyle Brady, I mean, come on. It, it just doesn't seem to make sense unless Rich Kotite has got some kind of plans that nobody knows about. They go two tight ends, maybe. It doesn't seem to fill a need for them. The Jets are going to have no receivers next year. They're going to play with six tight ends on the field. Boomer can't throw the ball more than 10 yards, so what does it matter? I'm not proud that they're going. Oh, believe me. I don't think that's nice. And poor Kyle Brady, who's there, comes onto the stage to a chorus of boos. This is a bad dream. Why we need this kid, I don't know. You just kind of know from that moment that Kyle Brady's going to have an unhappy stay in New York. I mean, unless Kyle Brady had stepped in and become Mark Bavaro times three, he was never going to make people forget about the fact that they could have gotten Warren Sapp. The, the best releasing guy here is Brady. He knows how to release. Watch him. Brady ended up in the Big Apple, but he had been the apple of the eye of Bill Belichick, then the head coach of the Cleveland Browns. Coach, I guess it had to be disappointing that number nine selection by the Jets precluded your number 10 in the first round. What kind of disappointment was there when the Jets took Brady? Well, well uh, I think that... Um... You know, obviously, Kyle's a, a very good player and was very highly rated throughout the league. So if he would have been there, we would have taken him. Were you shocked when the Jets drafted him? <clears throat> oh, yeah, totally shocked. I completely did not suspect that the, the Jets would draft me. Um, I thought they were set at the position and everything, so I suspected it would probably be Cleveland. The Jets also drafted defensive end Hugh Douglas in the first round. Both he and Brady turned into solid pros, but neither could save the Jets in the short term. They won just four games over the next two seasons. Coming up. When we made the trade from 7 to 12, the one team we had to get by was Minnesota. With the 11th pick in the first round, the Minnesota Vikings select. Mr. Simpson, would you uh, show your hands to the jury, please? Front and back. In 1995, the O.J. Simpson trial captivated the nation. All right. Thank you, sir. It was consumed and dissected unlike any previous event in American history. Viewers could turn to 24-hour cable news for the proceedings or even check the new Internet for updates, drawing their own conclusions long before a verdict was announced. It was into this environment that fans began to consume the NFL draft. And, guilty or not, there was enough smoke surrounding Warren Sapp that teams ran from the fire. Poor Warren. 
Now back in New York, Warren Sapp still hopeful. What happened was once a couple teams begin to back away from a player who should have been drafted higher, then everybody begins to back away. We've had a trade and a pick. San Francisco 49ers acquired Cleveland's choice. And San Francisco selected wide receiver from UCLA, J.J. Stokes. Whoa! It was a nightmare. It was an absolute nightmare. They took my mother to New York City and proceeded to lie on me and put me in front of the national television audience for two hours and 45 minutes. And if Brady Quinn ain't sitting there or Aaron Rodgers ain't sitting there until the 24th pick, guess who's the poster child for still dropping in the draft? Me. It's taking a long time. Me. So where is Warren Sapp going to go? Now, the Minnesota Vikings have Dennis Green as the coach, Tony Dungy as their defensive coordinator. You couldn't ask for a better player for what they want to do out of three technique than Warren Sapp. And I didn't really spend a lot of time looking at Warren because it looked like he was going to be a top five pick for sure. Talked to Tony Dungy this morning and said, Tony, what if he slips to number 11? He says, hey, the guy's never missed a practice. He's never slowed down in a game. If Warren Sapp falls to number 11, he personally would love to have him. So I think if the Minnesota Vikings aren't the perfect fit for Warren Sapp, that's almost an admission by them that these drug reports have had some sort of effect. Gosh, I'm sitting there watching Sapp in that room, and nobody's taking him, and he's getting close to us, and I'm starting to get excited. I'm thinking, we got to take this guy. This is Joe Green. With the 11th pick in the first round, the Minnesota Vikings select defensive end from Florida State, Derek Alexander. Ooh. Derek Alexander is a fine player, but certainly was not as high up as Warren Sapp. Absolutely right, Chris. There's no way you can rate Alexander as high as Warren Sapp. Warren, right now, the emotions. I mean, it's just a tough situation. I'm just sitting here waiting around, but I mean, it's not that tough. Your aunt, Drew, Drew Rosenhaus, as the agent, what are you hearing on the phones right now? Well, my phone's ringing right now, so I think it's going to be any second. Literally, this could be the key call. Let's see. Let's do it. Hello, Rosenhaus. Yes. Yes, Jerry. Okay, you got it. I got to take this call, guys. Okay. okay? This is All important. Right. Thank well, you. Well, obviously, it is an important The call was from the Buccaneers' war room, where General Manager Rich McKay sought to remake a team that had reverted to its expansion origins. <laughs> uh, the Bucks franchise uh, prior to the 95 draft was not good. We kind of invented losing. Wake up! You're looking at me like I'm not even talking. You're not hearing me. So we really were looking at it as a moment in time where we needed right. to move the needle and move in the right direction in a hurry. Right. Tampa Bay. <laughs> Lo and behold, 12 picks later, I'm landing in Tampa with 12 consecutive double-digit loss seasons. The yucks. They were the worst, and now I was a part of this. Let me say this, Joe. When it's all said and done about four or five years from now, I'll put my money on Warren Sapp being the best player in the NFL. The risk was worth the reward for the Bucks, And with the picks acquired from the trade down with the Eagles, they gambled again on an undersized linebacker named Derek Brooks. The teams that asked me to work out individually wanted me to work out as a strong safety. I told him in my heart of hearts, I wanted to prove that I was an NFL linebacker. Was he too small? Yes, he was too small. But we had been a franchise that had been living off of the guys that could jump the highest, run the fastest, uh, do the three-cone test, all those things that don't necessarily translate to playing football. We were taking all of them, uh, and we weren't doing that anymore. We were going to take guys that were productive. And Derek Brooks defined productive. You got uh, two players that are going to start for this football team 
I guess the only question, Sam, is can the Canes and the Knowles play together? Warren and I, we knew each other since our senior year in high school. We were on the same all-star team for the state of Florida. He was just 17 and I was 18 at the time. So I'm a tight end. We get to go up against each other. So he lines up and I put the move on him. I left him at the line of playing tight end. Caught the ball and this guy came screaming across my face. I dropped the ball. I said, holy shit. I mean, the fastest football player I've ever been around in my life. Had no idea that four years later we'd be on the same team trying to build the worst NFL team into a champion. I was sick after that draft. I just missed out on the two players who I thought were the best fit for what we did on defense with the Vikings. And little did I know, the next year, I'm the head coach of the Buccaneers, and these two Hall of Famers are sitting right there for us. From that point on, the Buccaneers really became a team defined by their defense. And really, those two guys, along with John Lynch, became the cornerstone of the Tampa Bay defense that ultimately won them the Super Bowl. In 2002, the Tampa defense scored nine defensive touchdowns, leading the Buccaneers to a Super Bowl title. A title that had its roots in the 1995 draft. I've never been in a draft room where people weren't excited. I've never been in the draft room where everybody didn't shake and say, hey, we did it exactly like we wanted. It's never true, okay? You're always that doubt. In that one, I will say that we honestly walked out and said, now that is gonna change things. In a draft with three Hall of Fame players, the Bucks ended up with two of them. Up next, the other Hall of Famer from the 1995 draft. One name not expected to be drafted high was punter Todd Sauerbrunn, who was drafted 56 overall by the Bears. Only three punters in NFL history had gone higher. Another obscure name was tackle Ryan Grigson from Purdue. Cincinnati's six-round pick would eventually become the general manager of the Indianapolis Colts. I was very fortunate to get picked. I had a, uh, a draft guide that I got at a Borders. This is the 1995 um, Pro Football Weekly draft preview with coffee stains still on it. Um, that's in my office here in Indy. I literally just crossed off each name like it was gospel. I was so naive, but he came pretty close to almost picking exactly when I came off the board. Positives, fine size, wide body, tough, Decent hand use, will play with some knee bend at times. Negatives, does not have the quick feet needed to play left tackle and, you, and really struggles to handle an edge rusher. Summary, could have a chance as a right tackle or guard on a team that does not pull its guards. So that says a lot about me as an athlete. After Grigson was cut by Cincinnati in training camp, 
He spent two years as a backup in Detroit. I always thought I was a much better athlete than I was. And then um, as I became a scout, and then you pull out the tape, I think he was pretty accurate. After Grigson's Bengals selected Kajana Carter, there was a first-round run on running backs. With the 17th pick in the first round, the New York Giants select running back from Michigan, Tyrone Wheatley, Napoleon Kaufman, James Stewart, Rashawn Salam. In the second round, attention turned to Cordell Stewart, a gifted runner who was also a passer. Stewart lets it go. He's got three people down there. The ball's up in the air. Everybody loved his athletic ability. They kept saying, they got a great kid, you know, and a lot of talent, but what is he? Pittsburgh drafted Stewart as a quarterback, but also projected him to help elsewhere. The question was, if we needed you to do something else, would you? And what you think my answer would be? No, coach, I'm going to be a quarterback. That's all I want to do. Of course not. Look at Cordell. Turns, looks for the end zone, fires on it. The nickname Slash was born. Good job, Slash. Slash is lined up in the backfield. Slash in motion. Slash is the quarterback. They said, okay, we think this guy is really a special player. We can find ways to get him on the field and find ways to let him make plays while we teach him how to be the quarterback we ultimately want him to be. It tainted the quarterback position for me a little bit. But at the same time, it gave me an in. They figured, well, if he can do all these things, great. If we put him in the right situation and accommodate his skill set, it could be something special. Through two rounds, multiple ball carriers had been selected. But the two men who would prove to be the best backs in the draft, Curtis Martin and Terrell Davis, remained on the board. Martin, boy, if he's healthy, he's real good. That's right. And the thing is, can you keep him on the field? And if you do, you got yourself a good back. Had had an outstanding junior year, had been banged up his senior year, didn't play as much. And so there were questions about him. But if you watched him on film, I mean, this guy was a great player. Well, the rap was worse than that. Um, it wasn't only that I was injury prone. It was that I didn't work hard. I wasn't committed. That I was an underachiever. And I couldn't disagree with it, to be honest. But going into my senior year, I made up my mind to not be that guy. And I'm the type of guy, if I really commit to something, I'm going to go 100%. I went to the combines, and I broke like three records. So I got everyone's attention then. Bill Parcells' Patriots needed a running back. Assistant coach Maurice Carthon was dispatched to evaluate Martin up close. And Bill told me, he told Maurice, listen, I've heard a lot about this guy, but it seems like he's too good to be true. And I want you to go there. I want you to give him the workout from hell and come back and you let me know what he's made of. Maurice said he went back to Bill and told him that if they waited till the second round, he thought that I'd be gone. Martin helped lead New England to the Super Bowl in 1996. Over his 11-year career, he showed remarkable durability, amassing over 14,000 rushing yards while missing just eight games. He was inducted into the Pro Football Hall of Fame in 2012. 
out of all the things that I achieved, one of the things that I learned is that it's not necessarily what you achieve in life that matters most, but it's who you become in the process of those achievements that really matters. Another late round running back who has garnered Hall of Fame consideration is Denver's Terrell Davis. Here goes Terrell Davis, big hole, TD, still on his feet, 30, 25, 20, 15, 10, 5, touchdown! He, he was the perfect fit for what Denver did at the time. The zone scheme, patient, one cut, north and south. Well, there's three or four runs that he made that uh, we didn't have anybody on our football team that could make those type of runs. Davis's draft stock was hindered by injuries and a poor recommendation from former college coach Ray Goff. Every once in a while, a guy will get in some type of trouble with a head coach or an assistant coach, but when you check out the trainers, you take, check out the equipment man, you talk, about, you talk to different friends, there was no question about TD's character. We had TD projected in the third round at that time, and we were at the sixth round, and we were trying to debate which way to go. There were some reports that had me going in between a, the fourth round and the seventh, and even some reports that I wasn't going to get drafted at all. So I didn't pay attention to the first couple of rounds of the draft. Davis was taken in the sixth round, the 20th running back selected. I uh, like to always say I was drafted before Terrell Davis, but he had a, quite, a, quite a, a bit better career than me. By that time, listen, the thought behind getting drafted that late was you're going to come in and be camp bait. You weren't going to make anybody's roster, so it really didn't feel too excited about being drafted. Buried on the depth chart, Davis finally found a way to make an impact. Belted at the 19-yard line. Absolutely crushed by rookie Terrell Davis. Until this day, every year on the opening weekend of preseason, I show these rookies. I said, you want to make a team? You don't think you've been getting enough reps? Go do this on a kickoff. You know, you get all these uncertainties about a draft. What kind of kid is he? How tough is he? What's his work ethic? And then you watch a kid come down the field and blow up a guy on special team play like that, and you go, okay, all that's, they're all checks. Tough, cares, physical, they're all check marks. By the end of the preseason, Davis was the Broncos' starting tailback. In his first four seasons, he rushed for over 6,000 yards, was named league MVP, and led Denver to two world championships. Coming up, which team's 1995 draft performance led to a franchise decline? For a team that had drafted extremely well before that, they drafted very poorly. Trades galore here in the first round. Right at the top, the Bengals went up north, taking Carolina's first overall selection and picking Kajana Carter. Tampa Bay and Philadelphia made a switch. Philly moving up to seven, taking Mike Mamula. Tampa Bay going down to 12, still getting a defensive tackle in Warren Sapp. The 49ers went up to the 10 spot where Cleveland was and stole, really, J.J. Stokes, wide receiver UCLA. Three trades in the top ten, and none worked out particularly well for the teams who initiated them. 
Everybody's lauding the genius of the 49ers. What a tremendous pick this is. It's gonna be a very smooth succession from the great Jerry Rice to J.J. Stokes. And as we know in draft lore, it's not always the way that things develop. The Niners traded a future first rounder for Stokes, a pick that turned into 13-time pro bowler Ray Lewis. Sometimes the best move is no move at all. Just ask the Dallas Cowboys. Dallas has traded its pick. Tampa Bay, with the uh, 28th pick in the first round, has selected linebacker from Florida State, Derek Brooks. The Cowboys found themselves at that time because of their pursuit of Deion Sanders and the amount of money they were paying some of their real high-profile players. They were all cash-strapped. Jerry Jones feels that there's not a player out there that can start for this team at that high pick, so therefore they want to get a backup reserve player, not have to pay him first round money and still hope that he'll contribute. So they're looking for backup players, reasons that Dallas will trade down. This was a common theme of the Cowboys draft. Uh, we need some key backup people in here. And uh, I mentioned special teams a minute ago. We have to have that. Sherman Williams, really a third down kind of back. Sherman Williams could come in here and back up Emmett Smith. Looks like they're going to take Kendall Watkins to back up Jay Novacek. We're real pleased. We got a lot of special team help. That was kind of the time when the Cowboys went into a period of decline. For a team that had drafted extremely well before that, they drafted very poorly. In the short term, it didn't matter. The Cowboys went on to win the 1995 Super Bowl, their third title in four years. And Dallas, your Cowboys are world champions again. While the 1995 draft marked a decline for the champs, it was a jumpstart for the expansion Jaguars and Panthers. You look at the two expansion teams, Carolina and Jacksonville, and speaking with various personnel directors and general managers today, they got high grades from all these guys. They had drafts that made sense, drafts that got them cornerstone players, and they packaged picks to get the players they wanted. We got very fortunate to get a quarterback, a corner, a left tackle, and a center, the building blocks that everybody needs in, in one draft. Bringing in Mark Brunell ended up being a great move for the Jaguars organization. He ended up giving them a lot of really good years. But the team was built through the draft. I was an offensive lineman, and so it wasn't like I was the quarterback. But still, I mean, they were being the first pick, I think they overlooked that I was in a skilled position. He was the cornerstone of the franchise, the quality of player that we could build the rest of the team around. I mean, he, if it wasn't for injuries, this guy would be in the Hall of Fame now. You know, you hear shut-down corners. He was a shut-down left tackle. He's one of the few players I saw block Bruce Smith every time he played him and totally dominated. Tony Baselli just takes Bruce Smith down. You know, when you pick at the top of every round, it's, it's nice. Um, but to be in the championship games as quickly as they did, that was incredible. I mean, both of these teams went to conference championship games in their second season, which is pretty astounding. I mean, you go back through the history of other expansion teams, in their second seasons, they were trying to win one game. Nobody gave us a chance to win. They were gifted and talented. Elway was playing quarterback. And here goes this team, second year in existence, in Denver, and uh, somehow we found a way to win. The Jaguars are going to the championship game of the American Football Conference. In a way, the success of the other franchise motivated each of those teams because 
you're kind of saying, well, we're not going to let them outdo us. They're in their second year, so are we. We can do this, too. The Panthers have done it. The king is dead. If we didn't run into a buzzsaw in, in uh, Green Bay in the NFC Championship, I think we might have found our way to the Super Bowl. There would be no expansion Super Bowl, but both teams had, well, expanded faster than anyone could imagine. We drafted well, and we brought in players that could help us, and we had created a great recognition for our city. I'm extremely proud of that. But it did do away with the five-year plan. The perception of getting good fast in the eyes of the fans uh, became de rigueur. Looking back, is there anything that surprises you about that draft? Um, yeah, Derek Brooks does. Uh, that, that Derek Brooks didn't go sooner in that draft um, is a little bit of, of what's wrong with us, you know, guys like me that were in the personnel business. You can't watch the tape on Derek Brooks and allow him to go 28th in the draft. Too productive, too good a player, national championship, best team in the country, best player on the team. We all get caught up in it. You project so much based off the measurables and the testing that you get away from the simple fact because you know how to play. I actually have a picture in my office, the greatest game I ever played with Unitas. And just, you know, where Unitas got drafted. I mean, I think ninth round, and it was cut by the Steelers. Just goes to show you that there's greatness in the late rounds. And a lot of times guys get overlooked, maybe because people didn't look hard enough. Today, in the throes of the information age, the inexact nature of the draft endures. But 1995 marked a beginning. It was the year of expansion for the league and the world around it. And the internet soon drove interest in the draft like never before. That became the next big threshold in terms of getting more people into the draft. If you want to see any player, the most obscure player at Mount Union College, it's all there at your fingertips. That just grew the draft that much more. And 95 was the first real draft that all this started. 